Welcome to the Circuit of Success Podcast. The Circuit of Success Podcast. With your host, Brett. Brett. Brett Gilliland. Brett Gilliland, Visionary Wealth Advisory. The Circuit of Success Podcast. Let's start the show. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, I've got Kevin Doherty with me. Kevin, how you doing, my man? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great. You're in Dallas, Texas, right? Yes, sir. It's where home is and finally getting to spend some time at home. I mean, even after the season ended, we've been on the road everywhere. So it's definitely really nice just to be home and in place. Nice night at home, isn't it? Yeah, as you, you'll find, I think you got a little one. So as those kids get bigger, even if you're, if you are at home, sometimes you're not at home. So, uh, well, listen, man, you are Kevin Doherty. You are a PGA tour, uh, player. You know, you're not just a PGA Tour card holder. You are a PGA Tour player, my man. And so, uh, you know, we go way back. Two years ago, we got in the elevator together. You look like a golfer. I think I had my sticks with me. I had the privilege of playing Muirfield Village. You were uh, at a golf tournament, I think, at the Corn Ferry. and made for the qualifier, yep. if I'm not mistaken. And we struck up a conversation. We ended up being next-door neighbors. Started following each other on Instagram. And now here we are in a podcast. You just qualified for the PGA Tour. But before we dive into any of that stuff, man, I want to start for our listeners uh, about a massive lesson that I've learned uh, through this whole thing. So I'm going to brag on Kevin for a minute. I uh, reached out to Kevin. Kevin was very nice, gave us of his time. We did a podcast. Well, Brett had a computer that was a little bit older and uh, my uh, technology, let's say, wasn't great. And it happened on a couple guest and I didn't think much of it. I thought oh, it was just a rainy day, it's bad Wi-Fi, but it really was bad on our time. And I got off. I was so embarrassed. I'm like, my God, I look like an idiot. Uh, you know, I've had all these guests on and now here Kevin has to give us his time and he thinks I'm this terrible person. And, and in our minds, we build these fears. And the people who listen to this, I'm sorry to do all the talking, Kevin, but we put it in our minds. It never blows up to our magnitude that we believe it to be, right? 100%. And I said, you know what, man, I got to reach out to this guy on Instagram and apologize and, you know, tell him I was terrible as a host and kind of eat crow and then humbly ask him if he even be open to doing it again. And here's what I learned, ladies and gentlemen. He said, yes, let's do it. And I'm like, you know, in life, we put people on pedestals. Here's a PGA Tour player. He's going to say no. What an idiot Brett is, and all those fears never came true. So, Kevin, you are the man. I appreciate it. Sorry for the long intro, but I think it says a lot about you and your character and who you are. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, just because of what I do for a living doesn't change who I am as a person. And I'm technically I'm at fault as well. I mean, <laughs> I completely I completely whiffed our makeup interview. Uh, <laughs> flew back from Pebble on Monday. And we had it scheduled for Tuesday and about five o'clock on Tuesday, I was going through my calendar. I'm like, Oh no. Oh no. Hey, I thought it was the next day. And so that's my fault, but now I'm glad that we can kind of make it work and just kind of both being easygoing. Um, yeah. I think that's pretty important these days. I feel as if a lot of people have kind of lost that easygoing, just kind of roll with the punches and see how everything turns out. Yep. I think we both would agree if, if these are our biggest problems in life, we're pretty damn lucky, aren't we? We're doing okay. 
yeah, we're doing just fine. So let me give a little backstory here. So another thing I want to talk about, Kevin, is uh, I found in my research to be awesome is, uh, and I know you guys talked about this on, on the Subpar podcast with Colt Noss and the Sleaze, and those guys are hilarious. They're awesome. Uh, Colt's coming on soon, I told you, and I've already had the Sleaze, so they're good guys. But um, people talk about it, and it, it's your perseverance. You know, you, you mm-hmm. almost made it on the tour a couple times. You know, I watched that chip numerous times. It was, you know, an inch from going in. And, and did not go in, which would have got your PGA Tour card, 31 years old, and now you earn it. Talk about that grind, man, and talk about that journey of what you've learned to get you to where you are now, getting ready to start on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I just think I've surrounded myself with an incredibly close, small circle of support, and they've kind of beaten it into me that, I mean, the ultimate goal is – is not making the PJ tour. It's not winning a PJ tour event. It's not winning a major championship. I mean, it's enjoying this journey and kind of learning as you go along the way. And yeah. I feel like I've done a job of that. And that's definitely been something that's kept me going. Um, even in those really tough times, like 2018, when I finished 26 and the next year I had a pretty good chance and, just made a debacle of the last hole and just having a very positive set of parents, a positive wife, my brother, all my coaches. And then that small circle of friends that I mean, I pretty much call my family. Um, They're all in it with me. And that just kind of keeps the train going. Yeah. So I heard on a podcast you were on, it might've been the subpar when um, I think you sat down with your dad, right? And your dad, you said, Hey, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And what would your dad tell you? Yeah, so it was, that would have been the COVID year, and it was kind of like the wraparound season. So it was a long season. Nobody really knew what was going to happen, if we were just going to stop playing again, if COVID spiked up again or whatever. So just kind of in a rut, and I felt like I was working hard, and I was traveling with two of my really good buddies that had kids. I didn't have a daughter at the time, and they were on the end of their careers, so they were talking about, kind of wrapping it up and I kind of fell into that a little bit like yeah easy to do yeah they seem to be just fine with it and so it was after an event and I I believe I missed a cut in Utah and it was a quick flight back to my hometown in Marietta California and sat down my dad and he goes hey you just you kind of seem a little off like what's going on and I, I told him like I just don't know if I want to do this anymore I mean I vividly remember him saying like Right now, you don't have a child. You have a very supportive set of parents, a very supportive set of in-laws, an unbelievable wife. And if you can kind of get this thing back on track, like you can provide for your family in more ways than just financially. I mean, my daughter's been on my daughter's been on forty flights probably, and she's not even not even a year and a half old, and she's been to different countries, and so, and that kind of sparked something in me. Like, this is something that I really do want to do. I'm just need to get away from this, trying to take the easy way out, and almost play victim a little bit. And I mean, that was an amazing, very intimate like conversation I had with my dad, like very touching. Yeah, which I think is huge because it, it, whether it's your dad or a, just a, a friend, a mentor, I mean, I think sometimes you need to hear you got 
you got people in your corner and, and thinking about your success and, and, and believing in your success, right? And I would say as a leader, sometimes we have to believe in somebody's success more than they believe in themselves, don't you think? Oh, 100%. And just going back to kind of that small circle of support and it kind of just dawned on me. But that same season, we're kind of getting towards the end of the year and it's kind of in that same time frame where I had that conversation with my dad. My coach was out with me and he's like, no matter what you end up doing, like we're always going to be close. I mean, this relationship yeah. we have golf is business, but then outside of that, it's friendship. And is all I want you to do is just kind of give it your all and just make sure you get to the finish line before you make up your mind. Hmm. And that was just like another one of those sparks. And I mean, just kind of conversations like that got me through one of the, like my down years in my career. And, um, I mean, I look back at them now and I'm like, holy cow, those are, I mean, pivotal kind of turn like times or whatever you want to call it in, in yeah. my career. So very, very grateful for those conversations. And So talk about the preparation. I think, again, let's, let's take the golf course back to the boardroom here for work, for leaders and uh, people listening to this is your preparation. What's that like for you on off weeks? Obviously, now you're getting ready to go. You probably start, what, in Hawaii in January here in the next month? Yeah. And so what's that preparation like in the next 30 days? Obviously, you get the holidays in there, but what what's that like for you? Yeah, so it's been amazing. Um, just kind of have some downtime and focus on kind of the way we want to go and structure this off season. The way my personality is, is I'm kind of a leave, every, like, don't leave any stone unturned. I mean, it goes from literally when I wake up in the morning to every meal that I put in my body to my workouts to the ways I structure my practice. I mean, pretty much speaking just golf. I mean, I have fundamental practice, skill development practice, and then games. And I try to just separate them like one-third, one-third, one-third. Uh, I mean, so there's a bunch. Um, and what's that like? So not to interrupt, but so that day, so is that like an eight hour day? Is that 12 hours, five, four? What is that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd say a normal day I'd get up at 6am and pretty much from six to six thirty, I do all of my mindfulness stuff. I know we talked about it a little bit and it's just pretty much a way, like you were talking about those thoughts that come into your mind yeah. that some get bigger. Uh, it's just a way to, get rid of disruptive thoughts and just don't give them any credit because technically they don't really mean anything. No. Um, so I do that and then I spend the morning with my daughter and my wife and we always do coffee and an unbelievable breakfast. And by that time she's about ready to go down for a nap and I'm out at the golf course at about 10 AM and depending on who's out there or if it's just myself kind of structures, what I'm going to do for that day. I mean, I have kind of my non-negotiables that I have to get done every day with golf swing, short game, putting, stuff like that. And then if there's guys there, we'll go play a game and then yep. come pretty much, pretty much. About so you're basically living every guy like me's dream, right? Is you, you get yeah. permission every day to go practice your golf game and go play a game of golf with your buddies. But really, it's work, and there's no air quotes in that. That legitimately is work, and how you're providing for your family. Yeah, it definitely is. And now I'll get home around four or four thirty, and 
I have a gym here at the house and normally my wife works out with me at the same time. It's when my daughter's down for a second nap and dinner. And I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much asleep on the couch every night at eight 15. Dang. Bed at nine. I'm asleep by nine. If it's either on the couch and I have to roll over into the bed or (laughs) I'm, I'm in bed pretty early. Yeah. Another thing I heard too is, uh, which I loved and I thought this was really an abundant thinking, uh, which is important, right. For anything, but is, um, what you do on the road, even for your eating. I mean, how important that is for you and kind of get detail with that if you want. But I think, and they ask you like, you know, that's not cheap. Right. And it's not like, uh, you know, in, in golf, which is what I love about it and kind of don't like about it is there's no, there's not, they're not signing you an $18 million a year contract and hoping you hit, you know, you know, 180 for the St. Louis Cardinals. It, it, you got to go out and earn it, right? But you are investing your dollars, extra dollars into your food prep. So talk about that. Yeah. So the nutrition part kind of dawned on me. It would be my red shirt freshman year of college. And Oklahoma I got in- State, by the way. Yep. I got injured in college. Uh, I fractured my L5 and I was out for the spring semester. And I'm like, this sucks. And that's when I got fitness and nutrition and I pretty much told myself that I'm never under my control. I'm never going to get hurt again. If it's a small stabilizing injury that I could have avoided, like that's not going to happen in my book. And so I've just taken the deepest dive into it and found an amazing guy that I work with down in Encinitas, California. His name is Robert Yang. Very holistic. Um, He has a very, straightforward type of way of eating and just to kind of give you a quick preview on that i mean pretty much his outline or overview of how he'd like you to eat is the easiest way to maintain blood sugar and it's protein fat and fiber so protein is coming from animal he's massive into high quality organically sourced grass-fed cows or pasture-raised poultry, stuff like that, just because the amino acids in it. Um, You can't get the amino acids on a plant-based diet versus this animal-based. And I mean, I felt felt amazing. And I I literally wake up on the dot. I have the most energy throughout the entire day. And I just had to find a way to have that same thing on the road so we just started renting houses every week and i just cook every meal just because i can control every single thing that goes into it i mean if you go to a restaurant if they would actually show you what was in whatever in a steak and vegetables i mean there's going to be terrible oils they use with it there's probably going to be some sort of corn syrup or sugar on a sauce that they put on i mean so I'm just taking out all those factors and I just feel amazing. Yeah. I mean, what a commitment. What, so what do you do when you go to, I mean, obviously you got to go to events and you know, your sponsors and you go to nice dinners and all those things. So I mean, what do you do if you're at a nice high end steakhouse? How do you order food? Yeah, I just go pretty much as plain as possible. Um, I mean, I'll just get a very basic steak. I mean, say if we're going to a steakhouse, it would be, just a very basic steak, no sauce or anything like that. And yeah. just get steamed vegetables and 
normally sometimes I'll have a baked sweet potato or just white rice or just something kind of easy like that and just keep it very simple. I mean, okay. like I, I don't eat any dairy, gluten, refined. Like I don't eat any refined sugar. I'll eat fruit, but no added sugars or anything like that. And um, fortunately, I think I got this gene where I don't like the taste of any sort of alcohol. Um, okay. So, I mean, I've tried literally great bottles of wine and high-end tequila, and it all just tastes like gasoline to me. <laughs> it's like, oh, this burns. Yeah. So so no, just, no bourbon for you, huh? Yeah, no bourbon for me. I mean, <laughs> I just put it, all of it completely. So That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. Um, talk about the, you know growing up. I think it's important. Um, you you, can't, you you and Ricky Fowler have a relationship, right? Both from the same hometown, Oklahoma yep. State University. Talk about that. And I know you know you probably kind of right behind me here. You can see what you can see this blue background here. That's Jackie Joyner Kersey, one of the greatest females uh, athletes ever, and she's from you know six miles up the road. And I know a lot of people that have come out of that town, and they said they were. They saw somebody do it, right? They saw Jackie Joyner Kersey. And so what about Ricky Fowler for you? We came from a little bit of a small town golf mecca because even outside of Ricky, Champions Tour player and PJ Tour winner, Tom Pernice Jr., oh, he was there. Yeah. Um, they moved to California because Brooke, his youngest daughter, was blind. And there was a really good acupuncturist in Southern California. So Tom moved from kansas city out to marietta so wow. when i was growing when i was growing up i saw tom when he was directly in the prime of his career on the pj tour and then i also saw ricky when he was eighth grade ninth grade 10th grade when he was shooting these low 60 scores in these junior tournaments and amateur tournaments and everyone was just like like the next coming of Ooh, jesus dude yeah, yeah. <laughs> And just we struck up a friendship and practiced together every day and we'd play with Tom. So, I mean, that was pretty much, we had one other, which would probably be my brother, some of the other good juniors at the club. I mean, we had a competitive day every single day we were together with a current PJ Tour player. And then Ricky's obviously well on his way to becoming a golf hall of famer yeah. and able to learn from people who are better than you. Um, I think is massive, and that was the main that was the main reason why I picked Oklahoma State yeah. was I, knew I was going to be a small fish in an extremely large pond. You know, I was there with Kevin Tway, Morgan Hoffman, Peter Uline, Taylor Gooch, Wyndham Clark, yeah. and we had to qualify every week. So I'm trying to figure out ways to beat these first team All Americans, and now. U.S. Open champion and live player of the year. And I mean, so just kind of picking, choosing from kind of each player and kind of molding your own and trying to figure out how to win is extremely valuable, I think, in my opinion. I put you on the spot earlier, so I can't do it uh, twice. But, man, imagine if you had to pick Wyndham Clark winning the U.S. Open or Taylor Gooch winning a, a quadrillion dollars in the live to her player of the year, right? That's uh, – <laughs> That's a hell of a year for two of your buddies. Yep. And then, I mean, obviously Victor with the, uh, yeah, with the up and pretty cool. We walked into, or we had a tournament up at Oak Tree National, little pro scratch in Edmond, Oklahoma, about three weeks ago. And 
you walk into the pro shop and you got the FedEx Cup trophy on one side, and you got the Live Golf trophy on the other side because Victor and Taylor both play out at Oak Tree National. So it was. Were they there? Uh, Victor was. Yeah, Taylor okay. had an out. Yeah, yeah. Victor had a hell of a year, man. That's awesome. So, talk about um, you know, walking in that locker room, man. So you're you're going in basically a month from now. You're gonna walk in, and and uh, you know, it's pretty cool as a guy that's following golf. Tiger playing today and teeing it up. I think I, I looked. He was plus three through seventeen when we right before we started recording. So. He's right there. He's five or six back, I think, or seven back. Uh, but cool to see him back out there. But but walk through. And I know you've played in PGA Tour events, so maybe it'll be different for you now. But as a PGA Tour pro, walking in there, into that locker room, man, what's that going to be like for you? And uh, and how do you keep your game face on? Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's almost since the season's been over, it's almost been a sense of relief just because, I mean, this – journey's been so long and you never know if you're ever if you're ever going to get there i mean you can do all the right stuff and it just sometimes it's just not in the cards and so i think kind of getting over the hump of getting that tour card has been a massive sense of relief and i'm going to go in there and i'm going to enjoy every single week and every tournament and i'm just i'm really trying to tell myself and remind myself to enjoy it because I know it's going to, the year is going to go fast. Um, I mean, nothing's guaranteed. I mean, I could play one year, I could play 25 years. Yeah. So I'm just going to try to be as present as possible. I know that good golf is going to take care of itself and I don't need to try and change my game to fit the PJ tour and try to, be someone else's game or anything like that and i mean i genuinely know if i go and i play good golf then i'm going to play on that tour for a very very long time love it because you gotta be in the what top 150 to keep the card top 125 top 125 okay yeah 126 to 150 is still pretty much like a full card okay um and you get to play and do you get to play in all the tournaments this year other than like say the masters things you got to qualify for but do you get yeah, to play so in most of the tournaments most of them and then they have they have including the four majors they have those signature events that they're calling yep. where they've kind of created their own it's like 60 or 70 man fields um no cut kind of deal you can play your way into those throughout the season okay and then obviously you can qualify for us open british open and stuff like that so yeah. i mean i'll probably if i had to guess low 20s to mid 20s so full okay. season yeah awesome so uh i know these guys will be listening to this um so we're gonna have a little fun and we're gonna talk about what the amateur golfer can do so I, I, these are two brothers mikey and timmy riley and you know i'm gonna just i'm gonna take a lot of their money this summer coming up here in 2024 so what do i need to do as a guy listen to this right now or gal listen to this it's a golfer what do i need to do this season to be ready for golf and then uh, how do i get better throughout the year so to be ready i mean you need to have a small list of just your daily fundamentals and those should not change they shouldn't change over the entire year because to stay working on them and 1% each day, you'll just kind of get better, better, better. And then within a year, then you can kind of reevaluate. Yeah. Next, 
Is, and when those things, are you talking about like working on chipping, working on putting, or is this more of like exercise type stuff? Because obviously it's cold here. We can't play that much golf. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, do some indoor stuff um, regarding yeah. golf. Uh, if there's like a pattern you want to change, if you're too steep, too shallow, just kind of work on those. And then you got to figure out, because that's only one third of the whole puzzle. Yeah. I mean, the other one, you got to know how to hit shots. So, I mean, that's why you'll see some guys with terrible golf swings beat guys with perfect golf swings just because they know how to play the game of golf better. And, I mean, that's just as important as having the perfect wrist angle or whatever the newest fad is on social media. I mean, if you can sit up there and hit a draw against a left-to-right win to a left pin and then the next hole – hit a fade to a right pin with a right crosswind, that's going to pay dividends compared to video your swing and trying to have right. it look perfect. So how do you do that even like, right? So let's say, I mean, to the, to the 10 handicap guy or the 15 handicap guy that probably can't do that. How would you recommend that? We just, obviously you got to learn it, got to watch videos, got to get with somebody, learn yeah. it and then just edit, copy, edit, paste 5,000 times. Yeah. You just kind of got to experiment a little bit. I mean, when you do have that time to go to the range, I mean, try to make it fun. I mean, don't don't hit seven iron twenty five times at the same at the same flag on the range. I mean, hit a cut six to it and then grab your eight and try to hook the eight iron. I don't care if it hooks fifty yards, but just try to figure out how to play golf and then go to a different flag. And I mean, I would challenge anyone to not hit the same club twice to the same target during a practice mm-hmm. session. And I bet, I bet their golf would get so much better. I love that. That's awesome. Then what do you got? What advice you got for me to be a better putter? Better putter. Well, do you have bad speed or is it more? No, I'm, I'm good lagging wise. It's just, you know, that eight foot putt, that 10 foot putt I miss, you know, probably. Well, I, my problem is I probably think I may, I should make every one of them. In reality, I probably make about 30% of them, right? But I, yeah. but it seems like that's my game, and I'm solid from tee to green, and then I, you know, I can't hit the broadside of a barn when it. I just, I don't read putts very well. Yeah, so I mean, I have a daily, um, daily putting green reading drill that I think is incredible, and it's very simple. So all you need is two dimes, and pretty much a sharpie. So same thing, random. We're only going to hit one putt from the same spot, and for example, say you're ten feet on the putting green. Yeah ball down just put a little black dot behind the hole to mark your spot get behind it however you need to read it however you do it on the course do that put the black dot behind the ball or behind the hole behind the ball okay yep just so after you hit your putt you don't lose your spot got it Uh, so then however you need to read the green read it and then about halfway between you and the hole take your two dimes about a putter head width apart and wherever you think the ball needs to roll, just put it right there in the center with the two dimes on the side and go back to your black dot. And then if you roll it through the dimes with good speed, it should go in with a good read. Yep. So if you roll it through the dimes and it misses, then you know that it's a bad read. So now you're constantly working on green reading. So if you were to do that nine holes a day, nine different putts, uphill, right to left, downhill left to right all different distances i mean it's impossible not to get better at green reading 
Maybe I just edit edit this part out and don't let Mikey and Timmy and all my buddies hear this. Is that yeah? No, we'll let it go. We'll let yeah. it go. I think that'd be a good. Idea. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I I understand too. I mean, it's tough for it's tough for guys that are getting out of the house once or twice a week and yeah, go up. You show up 35, 40 minutes, grab a drink, hit some balls, yeah. hit five pots, and then go. I mean. Yes, and sometimes just grab a drink, don't hit balls, hold the, put the phone down, tee off, grab the phone and walk and you meet your buddies on the first screen. You know, you're finishing a call yeah. or something, but, uh, yeah. that's awesome. Talk about, I mean, you guys, you got one of my old buddies, one of my old college buddies is at your country club, Tony Romo. Little did oh. I know that Tony Romo was going to be the, uh, you know, Dallas Cowboys quarterback and, you know, make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on CBS as a sportscaster, but played a lot of basketball with Tony in college okay. and uh, he probably could have been on our golf team uh but he was not and uh because he was too busy playing football so you got tony romo will zalatoris and the guys that's who you're playing golf with and having games with right yeah i mean fortunately merido has an unbelievable membership i mean everyone from kind of all the big sports around dallas is a member there yeah. pavelski player um we got ian kinsler who played in the MLB and promo and there's 20 pros, Martin Flores, Sebastian Munez, Taylor Moore, PJ tour winner, Davis Riley winner. Um, and we're all pretty much on the same schedule. So it's very, very easy to get a game. And that's kind of the easiest way to recreate tournament feels when you're playing Romo with infinite money. against. <laughs> right, exactly. And wanting Again. strokes too. He's wanting to pop on how many holes. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he definitely, he definitely tries to win the bet on the first tee. <laughs> He's <laughs> no good at negotiator, are you? So I mean, if you and Will Zalatoris are going out, and this is another one I joke with some of my buddies about, and this guy Pete, we always joke, and I'm like, you know, if Tiger and Rory are going out playing golf, you really think they're negotiating on the first tee who's getting pops? I'm like, no, they go play golf, and best man wins. Stop asking yeah. for strokes, you know, and so. I assume that's the way it is. Am I correct in saying that you and Will Zalatoris don't talk about pops no. in the first tee box? No, absolutely not. Like, no, I would. <laughs> Thank you. Ask, Thank you, Kevin. I wouldn't, ask, I wouldn't ask Tiger. I wouldn't ask whoever the number Scotty. I mean, Scotty's out there a lot. Like, no, you. When you're in this professional golf era or amateur golf, and you just want to take it to your buddies, if you're a three handicap and I'm a one handicap, I shouldn't have to give you two pops. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Thank you. From, I would say from mini tours to pretty much if you're playing every single major, every single year, you never ask for pops. Some guy that just came in, you're signing up for professional golf. Like if you're asking for pops, like you're probably in the wrong industry. <laughs> you got to have, you got to have the faith that you can go out and you can just drum these guys. Yeah. I love that. It's yeah. kind of like when I was in my, I think, mid-20s and I was looking for a new car. I thought I was a successful hotshot. And I asked the car dealer guy, I said, what's, what's the miles per gallon for this on gas on this Escalade? And the guy goes, I don't know. He goes, the people that buy them don't ask that. And I go, great idea. I'm out. See you later. Thanks yeah. for your help. You know, Don't need pops. So um, last few stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, but a cool story, man. Uh, and I think about putting yourself in the right spot. Justin Timberlake. Uh, tell us that story. You talked about that last time when we recorded and, uh, tell me that story. 
Yeah, so just golf being such a small world, um, Grayson is one of my sponsorships for clothing. And Great close, stuff, by the way. Unbelievable. And I'm close with Morgan Hoffman, and who started Grayson after leaving Polo. And we just kind of went on a boys' trip up to New York. Morgan has his own single-engine Piper Mirage, so we kind of flew around the country and played all some like great golf spots and everything like that. And we stopped up in New York where Charlie Schaefer, who's also another big name in Grayson designer from RLX that went to Grayson. Um, so we're going to play golf with him and he kind of had the relationship with Justin and we're going to play Liberty national. So we show up the next day. I mean, I'm just thinking it's me, Morgan and Charlie and show up. And yeah, the fourth was Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Like, holy oh, shit. Yeah. So we're playing golf and he was amazing. He was a complete boy's boy, having fun, shooting the shit, just kind of doing everything that you and your buddies would do. Yeah. And as kind of the round was coming to an end, he was just saying, Hey, like, if y'all ever want to come to a concert, let me know. And so he like gave us his phone number. I'm like, wow. Thinking, yeah, it's probably his manager's phone number or the person who deals with tickets or whatever. So probably three or four months go by and I see that he's playing right here in my backyard in Dallas. So I'm like, oh, I'll give it a shot. I text him, hey, dude, I see that you're playing in Dallas. Never been to a concert. I'd love to come. I mean, within a minute, he responds, Hey dude, absolutely. Um, we'll get you set up, friends and family passes, all this, bam. So that was amazing. And had an awesome time, got to see him after the show. His wife was there, him and my wife got to meet, talked, and it was just amazing. Like just completely normal, down to earth, couldn't be better. Fast forward maybe three or four months, we had a, some off time in our corn ferry schedule and I was out in Scottsdale and kind of his tour was going right through there and I might had a couple buddies with me I said hey you guys want to go to a concert they said yeah so same thing like hadn't talked to him since maybe the day after he played here in Dallas just saying thanks or whatever and hey I'm in Scottsdale see that you're playing I'm here for got like a week or so like let's get together bam immediately Got you. It's during, um, it was during um, spring training, so that everyone was there. And I mean, I'm sitting there watching JT perform next to Mike Trout and Kershaw, and oh, all, yeah, I'm just like, what is going on? Like, I'm just keeping my cool, act like this is normal. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, kind of same thing after, like, as the show starts to wind down, like they kind of filter us just kind of into like a big room kind of where he hangs out after and um that's when aaron rogers was there and dating danica patrick at the time and mm -hmm. john mallinger and i kind of go way back just because he played at virginia country club in long beach and my grandfather lived there so i might have sparked up a little conversation with aaron just said, hey i think we have a mutual friend john mallinger he goes oh yeah because they used to play a pro-am together and yeah. so me and JT were just planning on playing golf the next day at Scottsdale National. 
because uh, I was with PXG at the time, and that's where he was staying. And he just invited Aaron. And so show up the next day, and on the first tee, it's myself, Justin, Aaron, and Justin's manager. And I'm just like, I'm just hanging out with the who's who. And, right. and the best part that I've been around guys of that stature that absolutely suck. And like, yeah. I, I'm like, oh, whatever. Like, you're not worth my time. And, and I couldn't be like more truthful when I say Aaron and JT are just so down to earth, genuine, and just kind of actually care about like the people they're around. So. That's awesome. Well, it looks yeah. like Aaron Rodgers may be coming back, man. How cool would that be? I mean, after tearing your yeah. Achilles. It's impressive. I mean, it's inspiring kind of it is. work that he's doing and, and the power of the mind. And I mean, it's, it's wild. I hope, I hope that he can come back and I mean, somehow have the Cinderella story and turn, turn those jets around and yeah, do something special. Be amazing. So last, last topic here is you, you said the power of the mind and I was actually going to mindset. So again, whether I'm on the golf course and I'm frustrated and, and I'm at work, I'm frustrated or at home, you can be frustrated. What, what are some of the, the kind of the practices you do to stay mentally strong? Cause mental performance is key in no matter what area of life. Right. So, so what do you do to stay mentally strong and maybe not get too high, too low, no matter what moment you're in? Yeah, so one thing that I've learned from my mental coach is figuring out how to stay present. And I know it sounds pretty cliche, but when things start to speed up or go sideways and our minds start racing or everything like that, so becoming mindful of those times. And then I literally ask myself, like, how do I know I'm breathing? Because if I know that I'm breathing, like if I focus on, like for me, like I feel like the air going in my nostrils and then out, like I am so dialed into this present moment that everything else kind of, the waves start to get smaller and smaller from like the outside of what I'm kind of going through. Um, so if it's from frustration or if I'm in contention, I mean, I'll do it multiple times around i mean multiple times a whole if i need to and just walk into a shot breathing focusing yeah exactly i mean just stuff that you can control um so i'd say that would be one of them and then just daily mindfulness practices so like this morning i wake up and i pretty much set my alarm for anywhere between five to seven minutes and close my eyes and I literally try to see every thought that comes into my mind and I don't act upon it or judge it or anything like that. Just pretty much like waves in the ocean. Just a thought comes in and then it goes out and just not giving any. And that's sorry to interrupt, but that's, Oh, my shoulder hurts. It's okay. Don't say anything. It's uh, I got to do this thing today. I got to run this errand. I got to practice this way. I got this meeting later. Mm. Don't think. Don't judge. Yeah. Let it go. Yep. Yep. It just kind of gets you, kind of gets you in like the being mode of mind rather than always trying to do something and trying to control this and trying to control that. And because I mean, if you try to control too much, then yeah, then you feel like you 
like they're almost out of control. Like this first time something falls off a shelf, I mean, you're triggered or so there's definitely a balance between what you can control and what you cannot control. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. Solid. Being in the moment, man. It's also, I find myself, you go out, maybe you birdie one and three and you're like, all right, man, I'm 200, man, if I do this. And it's like, you already start thinking about that. You know, for us guys, if I'm going to go out and have a chance to shoot 68, you know, I'm like, holy crap, you know, but then I'm like, I got to stay present. The next swing matters. Don't worry about where I'm at at the end of the round. And I try to yeah. do that, but as soon as, and I'm getting better at it, but as soon as my mind starts going there and it's like, ah, crap, there's a double bogey, uh, yeah. you know, it just takes all focus away. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why literally learning how to be incredibly present is so powerful because I mean, what you did two holes ago is completely irrelevant to this shot. Yeah. And then if you're worrying about screwing it up, like you've, already casted this pretty much this future that you think you should be in yeah you know rather than just staying present and just dealing and living with the outcome yeah i i keep saying last question i'm just curious a guy like you i just just picked up a 60 degree wedge this past year i've never done that my whole career of uh, playing golf but what what wedges do you use um i use vokey okay that's what i use yeah, Vokey, 60, 56, 52. Um, and a fun little story, actually, about Vokey is, so Aaron Dill is the head, pretty much Bob Vokey's right-hand man on tour. Okay. And take it back, I don't know, 20 years. Aaron Dill was working at a local golf shop in my hometown, and he was my first golf coach. No way. And, yeah, now he's building what he's building wedges for all these major champions and buddies of mine that obviously are out winning and stuff like that. And if Aaron gets brought up, I'm like, oh, he's my first golf coach. And guys are just like, what? Blown away. So <laughs> golf such as like crazy it's small, small world. That's small. My, yeah. my uh, 13-year-old's pump, man. My mom and dad got him a 52, a 56, and a 60 Vokey for Christmas this year. And he just like cannot wait to get those yes. bad boys. So, man, I can keep talking golf all day long. Uh, but, man, you are going to be uh, – you're going to have a big fan. We're going to be watching you, man. We're going to be rooting you on. And uh, maybe I'll come out and see you this year on tour. But uh, hang with me while I turn this off. But thanks so much for being on the Circuit of Success. Yeah, thanks again. Glad we could do it.